Today we will continue our discussion of um, Hashgacha Pratit and Hishtadlut B'derach HaTeva of the uh, basic question of how we get what we want in this world uh, through uh, being deserving of divine providence or by working through the natural order using the laws of cause and effect to, for example, make a living. Right? If we want to be able to support our families, do we merely improve our uh, Torah and mitzvot performance so that Hashem will shower us with bounty? Or do we actually get a job and work and try to provide for ourselves through the natural scientific order? We noted a basic tension, which is that uh, we, the evidence of our eyes leads us to believe that there is a natural order. There are laws of cause and effect. If we do something, it produces a certain result, at least uh, statistically. Um, on the other hand, um, religious people general, generally believe in the doctrine of Hashkacha Pratit, of divine providence, that God runs everything in the world, that everything that happens, happens because it is decreed from above. And therefore, that seems to leave no room for... Uh, working through the natural order, because if everything is decreed by Hashem and everything that happens is merely result of what Hashem wants to happen to us right now, then it doesn't make, really make a difference uh, whether we work or not. If Hashem wants us to have $96,888.05, we will earn that amount of money regardless. Therefore, there's no point going to work and there's no point believing the scientific laws of cause and effect. After all, if God wants us to live, then it doesn't matter if we drive without wearing a seatbelt or if we play in traffic, because whatever God wants will happen. The, uh, we saw, we discussed in the previous year, one approach, that of the Ramban, who suggests that divine providence is not universal. The Ramban says, why did the Torah expect us to work for a living? Why did the Torah expect us to uh, conscript armies and fight wars? In short, why did the Torah expect us to work through the natural order? Because not everyone is on the level where they enjoy consistent divine providence. Only the righteous enjoy consistent divine providence and are beyond the workings of cause and effect and the natural scientific order. Regular people who are not particularly righteous, have less divine providence, and therefore have to fend for themselves within the natural order, as the Rambam Maimonides holds as well. According to this first theory, of course we have to work through the natural order, because we are not arrogant enough to believe that we are so righteous that our lives will be controlled solely by divine providence, and that God is constantly paying attention to us. On the one hand, this theory does not sound very religious. Everything that happens to us in this world is not a result of God's involvement, but is perhaps for many of us just living in the secular natural order. On the other end, of course, both the Rambam and the Ramban and those Rishonim who follow in their path would tell us that the ideal is to be more and more righteous and more and more spiritual and our goal in life is to progress and grow in spirituality. 
to the point where we enjoy more and more constant divine providence. So the goal in life is to transcend the natural order and be subject to uh, pure divine providence, or to get closer and closer, to free oneself more and more from the clutches of the natural order, and enjoy more and more constant attention of God. However, since not all of us have met that goal yet, or perhaps uh, we're, we are practicing the important virtue of humility and aren't sure that we've met that goal, therefore we work through the natural order in case we are not on the level to merit divine providence, in case we're sort of below Hashem's radar and Hashem is, we are not deserving of Hashem paying attention to us right now, we work through the natural order, which really exists and is really true for those who do not benefit the interference of divine providence. The radically opposite approach holds that everything that happens to us in life is purely the result of divine providence and not the, uh, not the workings of the natural scientific order. This is found as well throughout Rishonim and especially Achronim, particularly in those philosophical works which we might categorize as Musser literature. For example, one of the oldest uh, medieval Jewish philosophical works is Rav Bachi Ibn Pakuda's Sefer Chovot Halvavot. And the Shar for the fourth book of this work discusses Midat HaBitachon, reliance on Hashem to provide our needs. And in the third chapter of that fourth book, Rabbeinu Bachi tells us that our annual income is not at all a function of how hard or how skillfully we work. The, he quotes the Gemara in the second paragraph of Masech that a person's income is fixed on the judgment day of Rosh Hashanah for the following year. And obviously, what factors fix that person's income? It's Rosh Hashanah. His divine judgment. If that person has done many Averot, I assume that God would not grant him quite as much bounty. And if that person merits, then God will reward them with a plentiful income. So, if everything that happens to us is decreed by Hashem as a judgment based on our righteousness, then it doesn't really matter whether we work or how hard we work or how skillfully we work or what profession we choose, etc. Rabbeinu Bachyei then ask the obvious question. So why, throughout the Torah and throughout Chazal and throughout all of earlier Jewish literature, do we assume that people are supposed to go out and work for a living? Why would Hashem command us in the Torah to go out and work for a living if there's no such thing as working for a living? Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says our living comes from Hashem. If I make $69,000, it's because Hashem wants me to make precisely that amount, not a dollar more, not a dollar less. Working an extra hour or one hour less makes no difference whatsoever. Maybe learning some extra Torah might help, because then Hashem would give me a better judgment. But working harder, or working smarter, or choosing a different profession will not affect my income. There is no system of cause and effect built into nature. The only cause and effect is that God causes every effect. If so, why did Hashem want us to go out and work for a living? So Ben Yubachi explains that... Working for a living is merely the result of two technical considerations. 
Hashem knew that He wanted to test us as to whether we would follow the Torah or not. So Rabbeinu Bachi says, how is God going to test us? If we don't need to work for a living, then how will we be able to pass the test of not stealing when we are tempted to do so, or not working on Shabbat when we are tempted to do so? It says, therefore, God gave us this whole idea, this whole system of working for a living, not because working for a living makes us earn money, but as just an excuse for testing us to see if we would follow the mitzvot or not. Now, it's not that if we steal, we'll earn more money. Rebbein Bachi is very clear. There is no scientific law of cause and effect determining your income. You make however much money Hashem wants you to make. The test is not, will I steal a million dollars or not? Because if God doesn't want me to have a million dollars, I can't steal a million dollars. The test is, will I think that my actions make me more money and try to steal a million dollars and therefore be liable? Or will I recognize that I just do my part and everything comes from Hashem and act honestly and then end up with the exact same amount of money I would have ended with, up with nonetheless? Will I work seven days a week? Or work six days a week? I'll make the same amount of money either way because working more doesn't make you more money. But in one way, I will prove myself to be a Russia and in the other path, I'd prove myself to be a tzaddik. The second reason God wanted us to work for a living is because Hashem knew that most people would were unlikely to achieve the spiritual level, level of being able to sit and learn Torah and do mitzvot all day and keep themselves out of trouble. Most people, if they were given a leisurely lifestyle with no responsibilities, would end up just doing more of a rote. They would... <clears throat> engage in idle philosophical speculation and end up uh, with uh, becoming heretics, they would nowadays we see people who lead a leisurely lifestyle who have no responsibilities, they party, they drink, they do drugs, they engage in promiscuity. Every Avera in the book results from those who lead an idle lifestyle and have no responsibilities. Therefore, Hashem told us all to work for a living basically to keep us out of trouble, to distract us, so that we would not while away our time in inappropriate pursuits. Therefore, <coughs> says the Chovot Halvavot, this whole idea of working for a living doesn't produce income. Hashem produces income. Working for a living just gives you an opportunity to pass some tests and keeps you out of trouble. If, however, one is a already a tzaddik, if someone is a righteous person already, and they don't need this test, because of course they're not going to work on Shabbos. Of course they're not going to steal. And they don't need to be kept out of trouble, because if they had leisure time, they would learn more Torah, and not attend more parties. Then, they don't have to work for a living. God arranges the world in such a way that those people who need to work for a living, He arranges the world in such a way that they feel the need to work for a living. And those righteous people, those Kim, who have already passed all the tests and don't need to be tested anymore and who don't need to be kept out of trouble and distracted because they know how to use their time properly, Hashem arranges the world in a way that they don't have to work for a living. Right? He gives them a nice kolel check somewhere and they can sit and learn Torah all day. So, Rabbeinu Bachye is one of the earliest of the medieval Jewish philosophers who takes the approach that 
In fact, the laws of cause and effect, the laws of science, the way we're used to thinking about the world, is not really the way the world works. Really, work doesn't produce income. And staying home from work doesn't produce poverty. Rather, Hashem produces income and Hashem takes it away. The only reason we work is because of these uh, side effects, these technical reasons that God wants to test those who still need to be tested, and God wants to distract those who don't know how to use leisure time properly. But the ideal, of course, according to Rabbi Bachye, is not to work and just to rely on God to provide and to use all our time learning Torah and doing mitzvot, which is exactly the lifestyle that he says Hashem will lead the righteous into. One other very uh, fascinating uh, result of Rabbi Bachye's philosophy, he says elsewhere, Many people nowadays are very concerned how to choose a profession. And most people assume I should choose a high-paying profession. Vinibachi says you should choose the profession that seems to suit you. Because after all, you'll make the same amount of money regardless of your profession. Money comes from hashkacha pratit, not from work. The only reason we engage in a profession is God wanted us to for some reason. So if you feel a certain profession is right for you, that means God wants you to engage in that profession, and you'll make the same amount of money you would have made in any profession. A couple hundred years later, the, in the time of the early Achronim, the famous Musa work, Mesilas Yisharim, in the 21st chapter, takes this approach and even takes it one step further. He says, how do we achieve the level of uh, chasidut, simplistically translated as piety, by bitachon, by recognizing that everything comes from Hashem and not from ourselves. Working more doesn't earn us more money. Rather, Hashem gives us what we need based on His divine judgment and His infinitely complex divine calculations. He then has to address the problem. So why do we work for a living? Why does the Torah tell us to work for a living? And he explains, he gives an even more technical uh, justification for working for a living than did the Chovot HaLvavot. He says the only reason we work for a living is as a knas. It's a punishment. We weren't supposed to work for a living. Adam and Chava and Gan Eden just relied on Hashem to provide. But since Adam and Chava ate from the tree, the ate Hadad and Gan Eden, the punishment, Hashem says, the, pu- the punishment is that now we all have to work for a living. But he even quotes a medrash to this extent, the halachic medrash named Sifri, interprets the Pasuk, which says, Hashem will bless all of your handiwork. From here we see the Medrash says that if you sit idly by, Hashem will not give you anything. But if you work, then Hashem will bless your work. One could have understood this Medrash as advocating hard, diligent work as a way of producing income together with God's blessing. But the Mesil Susharim says otherwise. He says, it doesn't say that work brings income. The Medrash says that Hashem's blessing brings income. It's just that you have to do some work in order for Hashem to bless you. Why do we have to do some work? Not because work produces income, not because it accomplishes anything, but because Hashem gave us a punishment when our ancestor Adam HaRishon ate from the tree of knowledge, and it would be chutzpah for us not to accept the divine punishment. 
in the immortal words of the Mesil, of the Mesilat Yesharim, he says, "Lo Not that working through the natural order accomplishes anything, but that it's something that we have to do because Hashem said so. Hashem said that. I don't know. Hashem said that all people have to die, so we're stuck. Hashem said that all people have to work for a living, so we're stuck. And if we don't work for a living, then Hashem will be mad at us and not give us a blessing. However, concludes the Mesilat Yesharim, just imagine, imagine you ended up in traffic court, you know, with a speeding ticket of some sort. The judge says, okay, the punishment is, you have to pay. And neglected to say how much. So how much would you pay? It doesn't really matter. You don't get anything for your money. It's just a knas. It's just a penalty. So an idiot would pay $100, $1,000, a million dollars. Any normal person would say, I'll pay one dollar. I'll pay one penny. I'll pay one agura. If it's just a matter of a penalty, why would anyone pay more than, they're requ- than the bare minimum? So too says Mesilat Yisharim when it comes to work. We all have to work. It's our traffic ticket. It's our penalty for our ancestor eating from the tree in Gan Eden. But it never says in the Torah how much you have to work. So what kind of fool would work all day, would work a 40, 50, 60 hour week with diligence and effort? It's just, we got a penalty. The judge says you have to pay a fine. I personally, I'd pay a $1 fine and not a penny more. I'm not a fool. Likewise says the Mesilai Sharon, don't be a fool. You just have to work a little. Never said, Torah never says you have to work a lot. Never said anywhere in the Torah what the work week is. Never said a 50-hour work week. Never said a 40-hour work week. Never said a 30-hour work week. I don't know, someplace in Europe they probably have a 20-hour work week. It didn't say that either. The Torah said you have to work. So, says Monsieur Yisharim, any intelligent person would work. He doesn't say how much. Maybe a one-hour week, a two-hour week. I know a little enough to go into the office, do something, go home, Right? only work the minimum amount possible because, again, if our quality of life is determined solely by divine providence, by Hashgachah Pratit, and working is totally coincidental to earning money, as Masil Sasharm says, once we work a little, then we've paid our penalty, we've accepted the judgment for what to happen in Parshat Parashat, now Hashem will give us what we deserve. So why work one minute more than necessary? And that is what the Masili Sharim encourages all of us to do, to just work a little, the bare minimum, and spend the rest of our time performing mitzvot, learning Torah, and trying to acquire the very crucial characteristic, Mida of piety. In modern times, the perhaps greatest philosopher of 20th century um, ultra-Orthodox Judaism. Rav Eliyahu Dessler, in his famous Musar philosophy work, Michtem Eliyahu, takes this approach completely to its logical extreme. The Michtem Eliyahu says that there is no such thing as the laws of nature. There are no laws of nature. There is no science. There is no cause and effect. There is no distinction. The distinction between miracle and nature is artificial. There is only miracles because the only cause in this world is Ritzon Hashem, is God's will. I know the scientists think they have lots of causes. 
you know, the scientists think that there's, I don't know, all these scientific laws, there's gravity, right? If I, uh, if I drop my pen, it'll go down and not up. Oh, there's no law of gravity. There's no cause that attracts it. If it's God's will, the pen will go down. And if not, it'll go up. That's God's business. The fact that coincidentally it often goes down is, you know, Hashem has some reason behind that. But it's not because there are laws of nature. The Mechdom Eliyahu is very clear. There are no laws of nature. There are no laws of science. He denies the very basic principle of cause and effect. To those of us with philosophical training, this will be familiar from the great um, English philosopher David Hume. Um, perhaps technically a Scottish philosopher. David Hume, who likewise denied the law of cause and effect. He said, just because the sun ro- rose every morning until now, there's no reason whatsoever it should rise tomorrow morning. Just coincidentally, it rose every morning, and we think that that's a law, and it'll continue to rise. Okay, that perplexed many, many philosophers um, up until the time of Kant, um, who does not concern us now. But, um, while in secular philosophy, there are not many who take this approach in the contemporary era, in Jewish philosophy, I would venture to say that most from philosophers nowadays follow the approach of the Mechdam el-Yahu, which is merely continuing the train of thought, which goes back to Masilat Yisharim, goes back earlier to Chobot Halvavot, and goes beyond that to many statements in the Gemara, most notably the statement we quoted from Masechet Beitzah, Kal Muzonotav Shel Adam Ketuvim Lom Rosh Hashanah V'yad Rosh Hashanah, that a person's entire income is fixed, not by his work, but by divine judgment on Rosh Hashanah. Um, and the Rav Dessler is very clear. What we mistakenly call laws of nature is just those occasions when, for whatever reason, Hashem wants similar things to happen time and time again. And we begin to think there are laws of nature that cause it to happen. And what we call a miracle is when Hashem decides that a certain type of thing should happen once and shouldn't happen many other times. Then we mistakenly call that a miracle as if there were laws of nature and then there was God's interference to sometimes change that. But he says that is completely untrue. There is only God, and there is nothing else. He even goes so far as to say that those who think that there are laws of nature, and therefore think that things results can be caused by God or by laws of nature, and in a more psychological vein, think that results can be caused by God or by myself acting through the laws of nature and trying to bring about the result that I intend, right? So if I think that if I want to earn money, God can give me money, or I can earn money by working through nature, the Mechel says anyone like that is in fact a polytheist. And in fact, a, uh, an implicit idolater. Because anyone who believes this believes there are two forces that run the world, God and nature. Or, in fact, psychologically speaking, God runs the world and I can also run the world a little. Anyone who believes that does not believe in the, the unity and omnipotence of Hashem. If Hashem is the one true all-powerful God, then He runs everything. There is no room for any other explanation. There is only one law of cause and effect. God's will causes whatever effect he wills there to be. And that's it. So the Mechdam el says that those people, he might not admit this, but those Jewish philosophers even, 
those Rishonim even, who believe in the laws of science, who believe in cause and effect, who believe that to deny the words of the Mesila Yisherim HaHishtadlot Mo'il, that effort and working through the natural system works, it has, has an effect, are polytheists and don't really believe in God. He tells that even those who believe that God works through nature are wrong because there is no nature. There is only God. The highest level of understanding, according to our Dessler, as he explains, this can all be found, by the way, in the first volume of his book, in, uh, say, page 178 to 188, is his main discussion, says, the real truth is to recognize that not only are there no laws of nature, but the worst evil in the world is the illusion and the mistaken notion that there are laws of nature. Because if the entire world was created to glorify Hashem, and the one factor which mainly keeps people from acknowledging the truth of Hashem is that they believe the world is run by laws of nature, then nothing could be worse than laws of nature. Rav Dessler, being an excellent philosopher, takes this concept to its logical extreme, implicitly addressing the objection of the Rambam. We mentioned last week that the Rambam objected, he says, Oh, you fools who do not believe in working through the natural order. If someone is hungry, why should they eat? That's working through the natural order. They should just have faith and have bitachon and believe that God will somehow infuse them with nutrients and keep them alive. So why eat? The Ramam says, after all, if you don't believe in working for money, then you shouldn't believe in eating for health either. Rav Dessler says, his answer is, absolutely. Rav Dessler said, really? Of course eating doesn't make someone healthy and starving doesn't, uh, doesn't kill a person. As a matter of fact, theoretically, Rav Dessler said, whoever ate is Chayav Mitaz, worthy of the death penalty because they deny the providence of God. Why do you need to eat if God keeps people alive? And whoever starved himself should really be the only one who lives because he has true faith in God. But Rav Dessler admits that's not the way the world works. Like all Jewish philosophers, he has to contend with the fact that the Torah assumes that we do work for a living, that we do organize armies and fight wars for defense, and certainly that we eat food in order to stay alive. So Rav Dessler tells us that the only reason we engage in this hishtadlot, in this uh, natural effort, is to keep up the illusion and test others. It says, really, someone who really believed in God should stop eating, and God would keep them alive without food. After all, it worked for Moshe for 40 days on Har Sinai. But, what would happen if a righteous person, what would happen if a big tzaddik, say the Chafetz Chaim, a hundred years ago, stop eating and drinking entirely and lived anyway, then it would be reported in all the press, people would flock from all over the world to see him, and it would be so obvious to people that God runs the world and not the laws of nature, that there would no longer be a strong temptation to believe in the laws of nature. The truth would be so obvious that falsehood would no longer be alluring and tempting. And since God put us on this world to pass tests and withstand temptations, Therefore, part of the divine plan for this world is that there should be an illusion, that it should be possible for people to mistakenly believe in nature. 
Right? God purposely made this optical illusion of a natural order in order to test us whether we would believe in it or not. And therefore, even the tzaddikim, even the righteous, eat and drink in order to keep up the illusion, to keep up the test for everyone else. The righteous know that they don't have to eat and drink in order to live. They know that everything comes from God and not from any type of natural cause and effect. However, in order not to show their hand, as it were, in order to keep up the illusion and give other people free choice to choose the truth of divine providence or the falsehood of the natural order, therefore we eat and drink. He explained that this is one of the only two possible justifications for working for a living. This is one justification of working for a living is the justification that even the very righteous have to pretend to work for a living to keep up the illusion so that other people will still have a test. Right? In order not to give away the truth and to give people an opportunity to exercise free will in choosing what to believe, the righteous pretend they work for a living so that everyone else has free will to decide what to believe. Of course, therefore, he says, how much do the righteous need to work for a living? Well, only enough to fool everyone else and keep up the illusion. He therefore quotes the famed Rav Zundel of Salant, who said, my work for a living is every year I buy buy a lottery ticket. Why? However much money God wants me to have, I'll have anyway. And if God wants me to have money, he'll make me win the lottery. And what will people say? They'll say, you got lucky, someone's got to win the lottery. It won't give anything away philosophically. Therefore, says Rav Dessler, the truly righteous follow in the way of Rav Zundel of Salant. They do only enough work in order to keep up the illusion and fool everyone else so that they don't show their hand and so that people, if they want, would still be able to deny the truth of divine providence. So the only technical excuse for working for a living, according to this, is to keep up the illusion for everyone else in the world, to give them free will and not reveal the truth to them in an undeniable fashion. And therefore, it's enough to buy a lottery ticket. Of course, Rav Dessler knew that many religious Jews worked a lot more than Rav Zundel of Salant. And the Torah even makes it sound like we do a little more work than buying a lottery ticket every year. Um, so he says there's a second reason for working as well, which is recognition of our own weakness. He says, most of us are not as righteous as Rav Zundel of Salant. We have faith, but our faith is not quite strong enough. And therefore, what might happen? If I rush, I leap to the highest levels of spirituality, and I say, I'm not working for a living anymore, I'm just relying on God, then what might happen? A year or two down the line, if God decided not to give me income, of course, that would have nothing to do with my working. He wouldn't have given me the income even if I was a lawyer. But if for whatever reason, the divine plan, God does not shower me with money, then after a year or two of sitting and learning in Kolel, I might say to myself, you know what? I was wrong for all this religious faith. I'm going out and becoming an atheist. And I would abandon Judaism entirely. It's basically an internal cure of effort. Because some of us might not be strong enough to keep up the high levels of faith of Rav Zundel of Salant. Therefore, each person is expected to work, work just enough that they don't put themselves in such a stressful situation that they might end up breaking down and leaving religion entirely. So the second technical excuse for working for a living, according to 
Rav Dessler is just to you know, counter our own evil inclinations, our own Yetzirah. Everyone knows in and of themselves, says Rav Dessler, exactly how religious they are. Therefore, they should not work too much because they should have faith and know that work is irrelevant and everything comes from God. On the other hand, they should not work too little because even though they'd be right, they don't want to put themselves into a situation of temptation where they turn around in a couple of years and say, I regret being so religious. Let me go and become an atheist, which would, of course, be the most tragic outcome. Therefore, Rav Dessler's advice to the students in his yeshiva was, A, recognize that nothing you do makes anything happen in this world. It's all from Hashem. And therefore, there's no need to work. But B, recognize that your faith isn't so strong. Therefore, you might need to work a little just to not test yourself too much and to not overstress your religious commitment to make sure that, after all, you remain religious at the end of the day. What all of these Jewish philosophers have in common is that they deny the workings of the natural order. Because, after all, if God is omnipotent, then God does everything. If God does everything, then why would God ever choose not to be involved as the Ramban or the Rambam or others would have us believe? God has unlimited resources. He doesn't have to choose what to pay attention to. He can do everything at once. So, of course, he would. And therefore, if God determines everything, then the fundamental task of a Jew, according to Rav Dessler, is to recognize that there is no nature, there is no laws of cause and effect, there is no gravity, there is no Newtonian laws of physics. None of this is true. Um, right? There are no, There is no law of physics, which means the sun rises every morning. There is only the will of God. And therefore... The only thing for us to do is more mitzvot and more Torah learning. However, the various Jewish philosophers came up with a bunch of technical excuses as to why we work anyway in the Torah tradition. Perhaps, as the Chobot Halvavot says, in order to distract us and keep us out of trouble, or in order to test us whether we'll keep the Torah, or as Mesilat Yisharim says, just in order to pay the penalty that we're obligated to pay for the sin of our ancestor, Adam HaRishon, or, as Rav Zundel Salan told us, in order not to, not to give anything away explicitly and give other people an excuse to believe in nature, therefore we do a little work so that we will not produce open, explicit miracles and, as it were, ruin the test for everyone else. Or, Rav Dessler's last explanation, that really we shouldn't be working terribly much, but because we're really men of weak faith, Therefore, we have to work a little in order not to test ourselves overly much and not to lead to a situation where you might reject religion altogether and mistakenly think that it was our lack of work that made us poor and take out that frustration on religion. The, there are many Rashis on Chumash as well that seem to fit in nicely with this approach. After all, the Torah tells us that we should build a wall around our roof so no one falls from it. Doesn't that imply that, as the Sefer Achinuch and others deduced, that there is a natural order, that people might fall because we don't take safety precautions? Don't we know that if people don't wear seatbelts, they're more likely to die in a car crash? Rashi tells us no. Megalglin Chov Chayev. 
It is not that people fall because I didn't make a wall on my roof. Because I didn't make a wall on my roof, I've done an Avera. The punishment for that Avera is Hashem makes someone fall off my roof, God forbid, and therefore gives me all the unpleasantness of having a death associated with my property. Rashi seems to imply that even if at times we see that people who engage in dangerous behavior are more likely to die or get injured, it's not because there's a natural order. It's because they violated the mitzvah of protecting themselves from danger. And the punishment, through God's method of midah, keneged midah, the punishment for violating the mitzvah of uh, protecting themselves from danger is that the danger might come to fruition in a mishap. But not to think that the natu- in the natural order, dangerous behavior leads to mishaps and safe behavior leads to security. Rather, it is keeping the Torah and mitzvot that lead to security and doing Averot, one of which coincidentally happens to be building a fence around one's roof, that leads to mishap and tragedy. Chas v'shalom. This second theory, while very attractive religiously, and certainly seemingly conducive to religious growth, might seem to some just a bit difficult to swallow. Really? It's all coincidence? It's all an optical illusion? There are no laws of nature? There's no cause and effect? The only reason people who, you know, leave loaded handguns around the house end up with tragedies is not because the loaded handguns are dangerous, but because they violated an Avera and the punishment was a tragedy? Perhaps a little hard to swallow, although very religiously appealing. We'll leave this decision, I will leave this decision for now to the listener, but there remains one more installment in this series. In the next year, the Ezrat Hashem, we will try to tease out and work out perhaps some in-between approach can we have our cake and eat it too philosophically? Is it possible to see the hand of God and to see divine presidents manifest in everyday life for the average person and yet believe in the workings of the natural order? Seems a little tricky. Either the natural order determines what happens or God's divine providence does. Can we somehow work this out and have our cake and eat it too? We will see what we can do with that uh, approach in the next year, the Ezra Tashem.